Are you thankful for Jesus today? He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm chapter 107 today? Psalm 107. If you don't have a copy of God's word, that's just fine. It'll be on the screen and you can follow along with us there today. In 1943, a young man by the name of Louis Zamperini was commissioned in the United States Army Air Forces as lieutenant. He served as a bombardier on B-24 Liberators in the Pacific. One day he and 10 other men had been aboard the Green Hornet in search for a lost aircraft when they encountered a mechanical failure in their plane that caused them to go down and it killed most of the crew. Louis and two others survived the crash by climbing into a life raft with six bars of chocolate and six pints of water. After 10 days at sea, a plane finally flew over and it seemed like hope was almost immediately restored, but the plane didn't see him and it flew on by. Several days later, a Japanese airplane flew by and fired shots down at the men. Zamperini went underwater to dodge the bullets and miraculously survived. In fact, he survived on sea for 47 days by drinking rainwater and capturing a few fish. He and the remaining crewmen eventually landed on the Marshall Islands and were captured by Japanese soldiers. As prisoners of war, they were tortured. In fact, they were used as guinea pigs to try out various drugs and narcotics that the Japanese had devised. It was cruel. Several months later, the men were shipped to a man-made island off the coast of Tokyo that was designed especially for POWs. It was there that Zamperini was tortured by a general that they nicknamed the Bird. He was merciless. Louis was later transferred to a camp 400 miles north of Tokyo, only to be tormented by that same general again. They say he was singled out and tortured more than all the other American soldiers because of his international success as an Olympic runner before he got into the military. As the story goes, for two and a half years, Louis Zamperini found himself in bondage. There were times when he could see no way out. Times when he believed that he would die an enslaved prisoner of war. He couldn't free himself. He couldn't escape his bondage. He needed intervention. He needed to be set free. Zamperini needed to be redeemed. His story reminds me of another group of prisoners in the Bible that we're going to discuss today. They were called the Israelites. They were in bondage. They were being held captive in a place called Babylon. Psalm 107 was written and preserved in Scripture to teach us a little bit about this part of Israel's history. Some call this psalm the song of the redeemed because it starts by saying, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It was a song written to demonstrate what the Lord's redemption looks like and how we should respond to it. We won't take time to study the entire psalm today because frankly, we don't have time. But we're going to study a few verses of it. Verses 10 through 14. Here's what the Bible says. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, 
He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. I'm titling the sermon redeemed by our resurrected Lord. The verses we read separate into two parts. There's bad news and there's good news. The first part involves bondage. That's the bad news. The second part involves redemption and that's good news. The first three verses we read tell us why the Israelites found themselves in bondage and why we find ourselves in bondage. The last two verses of our text tell us how the Israelites got out of bondage and and instruct us how we can be freed from our bondage as well. I'm going to give you the bad news first. And it's this, our rebellion against the Lord brings us into bondage. The picture we're given in verse 10 is of a people that were in affliction and in iron. That's, that's a way of saying that they were prisoners. And this prison situation is described as darkness and death. That's as bad as it gets. See, they may have still been breathing air, but their life as prisoners in Babylon became so hard that it felt like death. Which begs the question, why? What has happened to bring these people to this place? Verse 11 says that their rebellion brought them to this place of bondage. More specifically, they rebelled against God's words. They stubbornly resisted the counsel of the Most High God. Now think about this. We're talking about the advice, the instruction of the Most High God as the psalmist describes them. The Creator God. The Lord of hosts, the powerful God, he was taking time to give these people advice. But instead of receiving it, they looked at God and said, we don't want to hear what you have to say. Now, that's some kind of audacity, isn't it? This is the most high God who speaks to the wind and it blows where he bids. This is the most high God who tells the ocean, you stop here and it stops right there. This is the most high God who who speaks to everything else in creation and it obeys his every word. But then he gets to this group of people and they look at him and they say no. As a result of their rebellion against God, an enemy nation attacked them and destroyed their community. Many of them died. The others were taken into captivity where they were oppressed. They were enslaved. They were imprisoned. Now, I know you're probably thinking, Pastor, what does this have to do with me today on Easter Sunday? And I would say to you, it has everything to do with your life and mine today. Because the Israelites are a picture of you and me. Every single one of us. There's not a person under the sound of my voice who hasn't rebelled against the word of God. Sure, it looks different for all of us, but we're all guilty of it. We've all resisted the counsel of the most high God. We've all said, my ways are better than your words. My wisdom, God, is better than your counsel. And as a result of our rebellion against God, we've not all been attacked by a physical enemy, but we have been attacked by a spiritual enemy. This is the story of every human being since the very first humans on earth. Adam and Eve, the first humans, were free to enjoy every tree of the garden except one. 
And along comes their spiritual adversary that tells them God's holding out on you. Tells them if you eat of that forbidden tree, you'll finally be free. So they ate and just like that, they became slaves to sin and death. And ever since then, the same adversary has sought to enslave us in the same way. Here's the truth. We all have sin we're in bondage to. And you know where it usually starts for us? It starts with pride. The sin of pride, this is what C.S. Lewis called the essential vice. The utmost evil that plagues every single person. He talked about a mere Christianity, his book, how, how we're enslaved to pride and that we compare ourselves with others. And here's what he wrote. He said, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If there were others who were equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It's comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. And I would add that that cuts both ways because I believe it's also the despair of being below the rest, which is also pride. See, we're enslaved to what others think about us. A preoccupation with ourself. It's how we're perceived by others that causes us to almost constantly project personas. All you have to do is have a social media account to realize this. But it's not just pride, it's also envy or jealousy. This tendency in us to look at others and want what they have, or even worse, resent them for having it. Some of us are in bondage today to anger. A temperament that so easily can lash out at somebody else, either with our words or at least with our thoughts. Sometimes our sinful anger is suppressed on the inside and at other times it's expressed on the outside. Sometimes it's aimed at a complete stranger and at other times it's aimed at the person closest to us. I'm afraid many in today's society are enslaved to sexual sin. Chained to certain sexual thoughts or desires. Our actions Before the most high God who made us sexual beings, we often say, God, I know better than you what my body needs. And so we rebel against God's counsel when it comes to our sexuality, which leads us into bondage. Some are chained today by the love of money. You know, the Bible never says money's evil. The love of money's evil. In fact, some of the most criminal, criminal acts in history have been done in pursuit of getting more money. Which is ironic because money tells you the more you have of me, the more free you are. Yet I found that money has imprisoned more people than anything else. There's the hatred of others. Some are in bondage to that. We can't shake the negative feelings we had toward that person or those people or that family or that church or that company. And we may not admit it, but it's become hatred in our heart. Some are in bondage to gossip or slander today. We're so quick with our mouths, aren't we? Or maybe I should say this, we're so quick with our phones to speak in ways that aren't good for others. And maybe where most of us struggle the most is with the sin of self-righteousness. The temptation to hear all these sins and say, what is he talking about? Why on Easter? That's not me. 
I'm not that bad of a person. But friend, listen, the Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in bondage of sin. It's not an exception here today. And that reality then makes us vulnerable to another type of bondage. Eventually we become weighed down with guilt. Guilt over our past. Our constant low level guilt in the present that we can't shake. Which leads to shame. Shame over the things that we've thought or said or done or haven't done. Shame over things that have been done to us. Which then gives way to hurt. An internal ache that we go to bed with at night and wake up to the next morning. Which over time can lead to unforgiveness and bitterness. That toxic eternal emotion that will eat at us from the inside out. Which then turns into a constant state of anxiety. And worry. Which then causes us to be paralyzed by fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the present. Fear of the future. And ultimately the fear of death. Here's the point. We've all rebelled against the word of God. We've all resisted the counsel of the most high God. But let's be honest today. We tell ourselves something different, don't we? We tell ourselves we're okay. We tell ourselves we're not all that bad. We tell ourselves that we're free. But friend, we're not free. We're fooled. This is the worst kind of slavery. When you're so enslaved that you've convinced yourself that this is what it means to be free. When in reality... All sinners are on a road that leads to slavery and death. See, the Bible is clear of what this picture means for all of us in the end. If we die in the state of spiritual bondage to sin, we will spend eternity in affliction, in irons, in never-ending darkness and death and bondage to sin. 2 Peter 2 verse 4, the Bible describes those in hell as being in chains of utter darkness. Think about that image. Chains of darkness. You can't get out. Slavery to darkness. Bondage to darkness forever. I want you to see the picture of every one of our lives now and forever. If this is the end of the story. But praise be to God on this Easter Sunday that this isn't the end of our story. Verse 13 and 14, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. That's good news. Though our rebellion against the Lord has brought us into bondage. Catch this today. Our cry to the Lord redeems us out of bondage. See, when the Israelites got sick and tired of being sick and tired. When they reached the end of themselves, when they finally figured out that their rebellion wasn't freeing them, but enslaving them. What did they do? They cried out to God. This means they identified themselves as helpless. They realized they couldn't free themselves. They recognized that the most high God was right after all and they were wrong. So they cried, God, forgive us. God, help us. God, deliver us. God, save us. God, redeem us. They needed redemption. And listen here today. We need the same thing in our lives. 
We need someone today to break our bands in sunder. We need someone today to save us out of our troubles. We need someone today to break us free from the shadow of death and bring us out of the darkness of sin. So I ask you, who can do that? Who in the entire roll call of humanity, past and present, is qualified to redeem you and me? Can we redeem ourselves? The answer is no, because we're all enslaved. Can somebody else in our life redeem us today, like a really good Christian? The answer is no, they're enslaved too. Surely some of the spiritual heroes in the Bible can redeem us, like Abraham, the father of God's people. Can he? Or how about Moses, who delivered God's people out of bondage? Can he? Or how about Joshua, that led God's people into the promised land? Can he? Or how about King David, who is a man after God's own heart? Can he? Or how about courageous prophets like Elijah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and John the Baptist? Can they? Surely the the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus can. Or his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, or the great Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Maybe Muhammad, maybe Buddha, maybe Joseph Smith, maybe that Hindu priest or this new age guru. Can any of them redeem us? You got it right. They can't redeem us because every person I just mentioned has sinned against God. The halls of history are lined with men and women, even good men and women who've rebelled against God's word, just like you and me. And we cannot be redeemed by rebels. We cannot be saved today by sinners. And here's what that means for us. We are in a very tough spot. In bondage to sin. Chained in darkness. Sentenced to death. And who can redeem us? It reminds me of a time when I took my son to an arcade. Have you ever taken your kids to Chuck E. Cheese? The the birthing place of (laughs) COVID-19. Or any type of arcade place. In these arcades are games you put tokens into and play. How many remember, I don't know if you've been a liberal long enough to remember, Le Mans in the Southgate Mall. Y'all, I spent all my money there. I was a paper boy growing up. I see the Westermans. I delivered their paper out. I only knocked out your window three or four times. I would go buy tokens and I would play and I'd play to get tickets, you know. I can remember taking my son to an arcade when he was four or five years old. And today, if he goes to an arcade as a 12-year-old, he, he does pretty good with getting tickets. He's figured it out. But as a four or five-year-old, he didn't do so well. So he would stand at the at, at the skee ball game, and he instead of rolling them, he would chunk them down. And that's just not how you're going to get tickets. But who am I to tell him to stop throwing? And so that particular day, we spend all the tokens and we get a few tickets. And so we head over to the redemption counter, if you would, where you can turn in your tickets for a prize. And when we get to the counter and I start counting up what meager amount of tickets we've earned, 
my son is eyeballing on the top shelf of the prize shelf there a life-size stuffed animal, like as big as he is, and says, Daddy, I want that one. And I have to say, son, we don't have enough tickets. We would have to spend two months playing skee-ball <laughs> to get that amount of tickets. So his eyes go down the price shelf and he sees a remote control car. I want that one, Daddy, the red one. I say, son, we don't have enough tickets for that either. So his eyes go down the price shelf and he sees a lava lamp. And he says, Dad, what's that? I want that. That's cool. And I have to explain to him, son, lava lamps are stupid and pointless. (laughs) But even if they meant something in life, we don't have enough tickets for the lava lamp either. And so I kneel down in the little glass compartment. And as I kneel down, his excitement levels go down with me. He says, what can I get? And I say, well, there's an eraser. There's a Tootsie Roll. Hey, you can get a spinning top. They have like four colors. You spin them. Daddy, why can't we get that? And I have to tell him because we don't have enough tickets. And friend, that's the picture of all of us today spiritually. Every one of us find ourselves standing at the redemption counter of eternity with our highest hope of freedom and forgiveness at the top shelf. And none of us can reach it and none of us have enough tickets to get it. Which begs the question, who does? Who has enough tickets? Who can redeem us? I'll tell you who can. The Most High God. He can redeem us. The beginning of the psalm says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The title Lord in all caps is our English translation for for one of God's names in Scripture. His relational name. His covenant name. Yahweh. It's the name of Israel's God. He was their God and they were his people. He redeemed them. But I want you to know something. Yahweh isn't just an Old Testament idea. It's also the name of God who came to earth as Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Matthew 1 21 says, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name. Say it out loud. We've sung that name many times today. You know what it means? That name means Yahweh saves. And that's what the rest of the verse says, for he shall save his people from their sins. I want you to get this. God, the most high, came to Israel and redeemed them from their bondage to sin. And then God, the most high, came to us through the Lord Jesus so that we too can be redeemed and set free from our sin. So get the picture. We're standing at the redemption counter of eternity with our meager amount of tickets. And we have no idea how we're going to be redeemed. How we're going to be forgiven. How we're going to be set free. But, but, but then Jesus Christ, the Lord Most High, steps out and shouts, I have enough tickets. I'm good at skee-ball. I've paid. 
paid the price to redeem you. I've loved you even though you rebelled against me. I've, I've come to you even though you ran from me. I've listened to you even though you've ignored me. And friend, I've made it possible for you to be redeemed now and forever. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying today, if you cry out to me, I have enough tickets to save you. If you cry out to me, I have enough tickets to set you free. If you cry out to me, I can bring you out of darkness and I can bring you out of death and I can bring you out of bondage to your sin. I can break your bands in sunder. Praise be to the resurrected Lord. Yeah, clap. I need more than four people clapping. We started the sermon with the story of Louis Zamperini. He's a prisoner in need of redemption. A hopeless man surrounded by darkness and death. In fact, the United States had already declared Zamperini dead. They went so far as to give his parents a purple heart on his behalf. But on August 6, 1945, the United States dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima. Go United States! And less than a month later, Japan surrendered. Zamperini miraculously was found alive and officially set free on September 5th, 1945. He was redeemed. But once he got back to normal life, it became clear that that Louis didn't have in himself what it took to be a whole person. While he was freed from the Japanese prison, he remained imprisoned in his inner man. He was as miserable, maybe even more so, in his so-called freedom as he'd been in captivity. They say that he became a drunk. They say that his life was spinning out of control and his wife, Cynthia, even initiated a divorce. But in September of 1949, a young evangelist named Billy Graham came to Los Angeles for a three-week campaign to bring the city to Christ. Cynthia attended and received Christ as her Savior. Then she returned home. She informed Louis of her new life in Christ. And she made it clear to him that she would no longer pursue a divorce. Louis was relieved. At the same time, he was adamant that he wanted no part of this religious awakening. Nevertheless... He eventually attended and heard Billy Graham preach. And on the second day, he came forward to receive Christ himself. Here's his account. I quote, I dropped to my knees and for the first time in my life, truly humbled myself before the Lord. I asked him to forgive me for not having kept the promises I made during the war and for my sinful life. I made no excuses. I did not rationalize. I did not blame. He had said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I took him at his word, begged for his pardon, and asked Jesus to come into my life. On that day, Louis wasn't just redeemed as a prisoner of war. He was redeemed as a prisoner of sin. One redemption was the result of a powerful army that rescued him. The other redemption, the most important one, was the result of a resurrected Lord that heard his cry. And maybe you're here today. And you're in need of spiritual redemption. You're in bondage and you know it. The good news is that you've already taken the first step. You're here today. 
But I have you know that being in a spiritual place on a spiritual day doesn't make you right with God. You have to see your own need for redemption and cry out to the Lord. You've got to shed yourself of that pride. That doesn't mean you just say an Easter prayer today and go on your way. It means you humbly recognize you've rebelled against the most high God. Pastor, why did you spend the first half of the message such doom and gloom? Because we've got to understand why we need to be saved in the first place. Our rebellion has placed us in bondage to our sin and we can't free ourselves. So what do you do? You rely on Jesus. He's got the tickets. You you rely on what he did for you on the cross and through the grave to redeem you and bring you out of bondage. You put all your faith in him. Then you know what you do? You turn your back on your sin. You'll never be sinless until you get to heaven. You'll never be perfect. But but, but now you're not going to take sin side. Now you're going to put on the Jesus jersey and you're going to be on team Jesus taking Jesus side against your sin. You're no longer giving into its pleasure at will. You are now fighting and, and persisting in that fight. That's what salvation looks like. I want to give you the opportunity to do that here in just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you have been redeemed. But you find yourself in church for the first time in a long time. And if you're honest. You're not living like you're redeemed. You're entangled in sin. You're enslaved in sin. You can remember a day when you've been, you really began to believe in Jesus and repent of your sin. And you even remember when you got baptized as a public profession to demonstrate that. But, but you, have, you have just walked away. And God miraculously has brought you back to this place today to hear this message. And I want you to know something. The same grace that saved you from your sin in the first place is the same grace that can give you victory over your sin today. You have to live your, you you don't have to live your Christian life up and down and up and down in church and out of church, in church and out of church. Maybe today you should cry out to the Lord, humble yourself, get right with him again and make a a fresh commitment that not just on Easter Sunday, but next Sunday too, I'm going to worship him. And the Sunday after that, I'm going to worship him. And even Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday, I'm committing my life all over to the Lord Jesus today. And surely, I just know it by the countenance of some of y'all's spirit. You have been redeemed and you're doing your best to live like it. You resonate with the message. You resonate with the songs today. How do you apply this sermon? Well, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Several different times in this passage said, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. You know what you do today? You humble yourself and say, God, thank you. You praise his name. You lift your hand in worship. You give an offering, not so anybody can get rich. You give an offering because Jesus Christ has made you rich. And you say, I want to worship him and praise him today. You serve him. You love others. All of that is a way to praise God for his goodness in your life. Right where you're at tonight, would you just bow your, or this morning, I'm sorry. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to have just a, a private moment of reflection. And I want to ask just a a few questions, three in particular. Number one, how many would be able to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I know that I've been redeemed and to the best of my ability, I'm living like it today. Raise your hand right now. You know, you know, you can go back to a time 
Hey, I've been saved. Okay, put your hand down. If you just raise your hand, listen, you need to tell God, thank you today. You did nothing to earn that. You did not have enough tickets. Come tell God, thank you today, would you? How many would say, Pastor, I'm redeemed. I'm believing in Jesus. But I haven't been living like it. In fact, I was quite surprised to even find my own self in church today. Would you pray for me that I can get my life back on track? Raise your hand. Let me see your hand today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Appreciate that. You can put your hand down. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that honesty. Who else? I know I'm saved. I know. Thank you in the back. Thank you for that. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Who else? Who else? I know I've been set free, but it's like I placed myself back into prison. Anybody? If you just raised your hand, I would like to invite you to come forward. Maybe even pray in your own seat, whatever you're comfortable with today. But I want you to humble yourself before God and say, God, I I want to commit to you again. Help me. Most important question perhaps of the day is this. How many say, I don't know if I've been redeemed. I feel like I'm that four-year-old kid at the redemption counter with not enough tickets and I feel helpless today. Christians praying all over the building. Would you admit that today? Just raise your hand. You're not making a commitment to me. I just want to pray for you. Raise your hand. Come on, let's not waste time. Be honest before God. Be honest before your peers today.